even as we prepare ourselves together to hear God's Word, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Well, actually chapter 3, sorry. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to take up a little bit of a lengthy section today because really at the end of chapter 3, he introduces a theme that he then expands on in the next 10 verses of chapter uh, 4. And so we'll, we'll see how all those things fit together. And if we don't take a lengthy chunk, then we'll end up having basically the same sermon for the next two, three weeks. So we take a lengthy chunk so we see how all the pieces fit together and we wonderfully keep moving on and applying. So listen as I read. I'm going to read chapter 3, verse 11, down through chapter 4, verse 10, then pray and see if we can open it up for us. Listen as I read God's word. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you yourselves know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress or wrong a brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these matters, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warn you now. For God has not called us to impurity, for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For in that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quiet lives and mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed, so that we may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All right, let's pray. Lord, as we always really do when we prepare to open your word, it is with a sense of anticipation because it is like nothing else in this world. It is, it is the very words of God himself as, he, as you give correction and instruction and important direction to your people. Lord, as through the things that you've given in your word, uh, you use it by your spirit to reshape and alter the way that we think, the way that we perceive and interact, to change the nature of our values and our ambitions, uh, to help us uh, overcome the natural desires of the flesh. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. And I would pray that as we consider just a couple of thoughts and things today, that God, once again, you would be pleased to take your word and just bring it with freshness and power to our own hearts and minds. Lord, I would hope and pray that you would grant for me to speak faithfully and clearly. And also, God, that everyone that in your purposes you have brought here this day, that you would grant them the strength uh, of flesh and mind to be able to remain attentive and uh, the understanding as your spirit would enlighten their hearts and minds to understand what your word says and how their lives um, are and can, by grace, be lined up with it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'll bless our consideration of it now. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is this section we take up now. 
in Thessalonians. He's coming, working his way out of the section talking about suffering and struggles and affliction and their, and their perseverance through it. And now he, he comes through and he gives some more personal instruction to them. It, it, the way that it begins here is, is interesting. And before I, I begin to unfold this, I do want us to, to recognize this. These matters are not small matters. The scripture consider these matters serious matters. So serious that it puts terminology in there that makes us uncomfortable. Terminology that I think most of us rarely use. But we should not be afraid or ashamed of the terminology if it's what the Bible says. Because God will never misrepresent himself. And if he said it in a certain way, it's so that we would hear it in that way and understand it. And one of the things it does say, verse 8, it says, look, we don't wrong a brother or transgress in these areas that we're going to consider because the Lord is an avenger of all these things. The Lord is an avenger of all these things. That's strong language, isn't it? I mean, that's the kind of language that makes people uncomfortable. We write songs, Jesus, lover of my soul. We don't write songs, God is an avenger of all wrong. God avenges evildoers. We don't write songs about that, and I understand why. Those don't appeal as much. They're not the outflow of our heart and, and something that, that gives us strength and comfort. But even though it's not the main source of strength and comfort in teaching, it is still just as true. As much as we love God, as much as his mercy, his grace, his compassion, his patience is granted to us, his people. Indeed, poured out upon us, his people. We ought also know the scriptures don't hesitate to say very firmly and clearly, he is an avenger of these things in all these things even go on so far in the very next two verses down therefore whoever disregards this when the instruction of God's word is laid out whoever disregards this it's always important for us to remember disregards not man but who disregards God now, generally speaking, I think we could go into any church and line up and talk to every professing Christian and ask them, do you want to be a person who disregards God? To which their answer would probably be, no, I'm not going to disregard God. Well, here it's not asking for you to state whether or not you will disregard God. It's saying whoever does not receive these things and then appropriate them by grace into their life, they are disregarding God. So many may not be willing, willingly disregard him with their mouth. I disregard him. No, no one says that. But they can disregard him with their life. They can claim to be his followers, but they can deny his power also by the way that they live. And this is also an important thing that we need to step back from because this truth really permeates the scripture. Whenever God's word says something, be it a command, be it a teaching, a doctrine, whatever it be, it's the word of God. And so matter, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us, no matter how different it may be from our own expectations, if it is what God has given to us, to just push it aside, well, I don't want to think about that, I don't want to study that, I, I, is in a sense to disregard God. And none of us would disregard God, so I just want us to, God to stir up within us this passion. If it is in his word, every single verse that is there is by design. We all believe that all scripture is God-breathed, God-inspired, and all of it is profitable. 
None of it is accidental. None of it is, and, and some people have this tendency, and we, we want God's grace to help us never to do this. Looking at a certain passage of Scripture, this is a difficult passage. This is a difficult doctrine. Let me turn the page. I understand, why, I understand the tendency because sometimes there's so many different ideas and views that are put forward that it leaves us confused and not sure where to go. But instead of just ultimately turning the page and not going back to it, if that page is there, if that passage is there, I ask you, as I've asked myself so many times, who put that there? Did the Holy Spirit of God who moved these men to give the scriptures, did they make a mistake? Should they have kept that one quiet? Because that might create a little controversy in the church. That might create a little doctrinal division in the church. Well, it's not given so that it would create doctrinal division. It's given so that we would all study it, carefully see what it says, and that we would unify together on what the scripture teaches. Correct? The, you know, there is a sense in which doctrine divides, yes. But whatever the word of God teaches to be true, it also unites because God's people gather to it. They lay hold of it. And they lay hold of it at times even saying, there's a degree of mystery to this. God is so great. His, his judgments are unsearchable. His mind is unfathomable. His ways are not our ways. So I'm not going to bring my assumptions and my expectations to God, I'm going to just listen to what he has to say. And I'm going to say, God, help me understand this. Help me at times overcome myself to lay hold of your words if necessary. Because remember, whatever we get here in terms of teaching or instruction, who has it come from? And to disregard this is to disregard who? God. Not just whoever may or may not be teaching and preaching. Now, you're welcome to disregard me. And anything that I might say, unless you find that I happen to be saying the same thing the Scripture says. Which, God willing, that's what I'm going to be doing. And that's what we strive to do. But any man, whatever any man may teach, no matter who he is, we don't follow it or believe it just because a man does it. And God willing, any man who stands in the position of a teacher and preacher understands that his responsibility, as Paul the Apostle says, he has been entrusted with a word. And it is important that as a steward, someone who has been entrusted with the word, that he be found faithful. And it is his job to make the word of God fully known. His job is not to entertain people. Tragically, he... We learn very easily our job is not ultimately even to convince and persuade people. Because that's just really hard. Because all of us have a tendency to hold our opinions with such verve and such strength. And maybe those opinions are also linked to one or two Bible verses. That's okay, but what if there are three or four that expand and correct our understanding of it? Dig into God's word. Let us never be those who disregard God by way of introduction today. Now let's get into the meat of what we're going to be considering. And this is, a, this is an idea that I, I think that what Paul does here to the church at Thessalonica is such a blessing. Because in, in our experiences, many of us have been in different church settings and scenarios. And through different places in our own journey in our faith. And there's a tendency at times for, for people to teach and preach a, a kind of Christian living that is a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, do it all yourself, you can get it done. And, and, and they're expecting uh, the, the individual person to find the strength in themselves, to find the wisdom, the fortitude in themselves to do it. And it all becomes about commitment and do, 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 do. You ever heard or seen of people like that or churches like that? They exist. But then you have the other side as well. 
And on the other side, you, you, you have people who just say, don't do anything. Just let go and let God. Just, 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 you know, just, it'll happen. You just go about your daily life and you go, and, and, and God will get it done in the process. I'm just let go and let God. You don't, don't commit. Don't endeavor. Don't strive. No, no, no. Just yield. There's value to both sides of those. But both sides of those held as if they are the whole truth is the problem. And so really I've titled today's message a theme that I've grown in through my study of the word through the years. The idea of a diligent dependence. Where we are absolutely diligent in our striving and our endeavors and our straining and our pressing on and our commitment and our devotion. While at the very same time our, our hope and our confidence is not in ourselves or in our own strength. We are looking to and utterly dependent upon God. To be our rock, to be our strength, to be our support, to be our wisdom, to be our help. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. And so it's both of these things. There is a personal diligence as well as a wholehearted dependence. And I want us to see how this begins to unfold. Interestingly, in chapter 3 verse 11... As he's going to begin to, to move in chapter 4 to what we might call strong instructions, strong imperatives, commands for, as, as the ESV titles chapter 4, a life pleasing to God. That's a strong phrase, isn't it? And, and instructions for a life pleasing to God. It's interesting to me that before, in this section, before we get into the unfolding of a life pleasing to God, there is kind of a prayer that precedes it. There is a directing of the minds and hearts of the people in the church at Thessalonica, not to their own life and to their own feet, but they are First directed to their father who is in heaven. And the grace that is given them in Jesus Christ. Because look how it begins in verse 9. I mean verse 11. Now may our God and father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Okay now this is that's my first point is going to start there. Really, the, the main points that we're seeing are out of the end of chapter 11, and then they're unfolded first. It had been the desire of Paul to go back to Thessalonica, but he's not been able to do that. Things have hindered him. We don't have the totality of all that's gone on, but there are problems, there are demands, there are requirements, and he just hasn't been able to make it. He has, at times, we see from the earlier portion of this book, planned, I'm going to go. And then he can't make it happen. And then he realizes, I'm going to send someone to go there then instead of me to find out how they're doing because I want to see them face to face. I've many times tried to do it, but I can't do it. I haven't been able to do it. Previous in chapter 2, it had spoken of occasions where Satan hindered us. We also, when we looked at that Satan hindered us, we also looked at passages in the book of Acts where the scripture says they, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So as much as, as, as we may think, I'm going here, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. The reality of this, of, of our life, and where we go, and where we're able to actually reach, is in the hands of God. For those who are, are aware of it, in James chapter 4, such a powerful passage in James chapter 4, towards the end of that chapter, around verse 11, you begin to have a section where someone is saying to themselves, we're going to go, and we're going to travel to a distant city, and we're going to conduct business, and we're going to make a profit, 
and then we're going to come back. This is what we're going to do. They've made themselves a good plan. Is anything about that plan sinful? Is it, is it sinful to make money? You better hope not. So none of, nothing about their agenda was overtly sinful or wicked in any way. Actually, it's very practical, and it's something we all kind of have to do. Sometimes, if someone is maybe moving towards their graduation from college, their mind might start stirring, what am I going to do? You know, those thoughts stir up in the hearts and minds of some, yes? And, when, and, and because they're trying to make a plan, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do. Sometimes the plans we make get completely altered. I'm going over here, and then the door is closed. Maybe we've actually even thought, I, I'm pretty sure this is what I'm going to be doing, and we've got almost one foot through the door, and then it slams on us. Well, I thought that's where I would be next month. Now I guess I don't know. That those things can happen where who's ultimately in control? There's value in planning. There's wisdom in considering. But we've got to understand more than that. Where we end up is in God's hands. We also noted that with regard to Satan hindered us, we had looked at even Satan's efforts and, and uh, attacks in the life of Job. We've at times considered Satan's attacks in the life of Paul and realized even if Satan is the one who hindered Paul from going, Satan can only accomplish any of his agenda when permitted to by God. Satan cannot stop God from accomplishing anything he wants. I, I, I like to say this again. It's very important. Not only can he not stop God, he cannot even slow him down. He cannot even delay God's purposes by a millisecond. You know, if you know of a smaller increment, think of that. But he can't delay it at all. Because that is how powerful God is. And so here is this wonderful recognition. We desire to come to you, but God has to direct our way. Oh, believers. May that be a principle that we hold in our lives. This is what I long to do. This is where I hope to go. This is, this is, this is my plan and this is my prayer. But what? May God direct my way. Because isn't that ultimately what we hopefully really want? I want to be where God wants me to be. Now, if that's not where you're at, ultimately, I want to be where God wants me to be. If you're more, I want to be where I want to be, no matter what God wants, then that's a different issue we can deal with another time. But that, that's unhealthy. The idea should be what? Wherever God would have me, that's where I want to be. Direct my way. And so here is the assumption and the recognition. As much as I've tried and been unsuccessful, as much as it's, it's been my endeavor and effort, I know the only way it's really going to happen, the only way I'm going to get there, is if God directs my way. That's very important for us to recognize that. Uh, here's, there's also value. Now, back in James, so they were going to go and conduct business. And what does it say in James chapter 4, verse 15? As they were making their plans, it says, no, no, no. Instead, you ought to say this. If the Lord wills. I mean, you've, you've said, we're going to go. We're going to go to this city. We're going to conduct a business. We're going to make a profit. Instead, you ought to say. And again, I'm going I'm to back that up even further. Not only uh, ought you to say it, but you ought to think it. Because generally we say what we think, right? But strangely enough, we're able to say things so many times that we can say them unthinkingly. There are people who don't believe in God who may still say, you know, God willing, it'll rain tomorrow. God willing? Well, no, I, I mean, it's just figure of speech. 
Well, it's not a figure of speech. For us, it's not a figure of speech at all. It's not something uh, distant, and it's not a euphemism for chance and possibility. For us, it is the affirmed confidence that God is always in control of everything. Look what it says here. The plan was, I will go and conduct a prophet. This backs that up. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. So even before you say, we're getting ready to go on a business trip, you got to recognize, even to go on that business trip, you got to be alive. And so, so even the breath that precedes the plan... That's dependent upon God, that you're alive. And then every part of the plan that would follow after that. If God wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, verse 16 says, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Now when I read what they said before, it did not seem like much boasting. It seemed like a good plan. Maybe it was a plan with an overconfidence in their success. But the idea is this, that anyone would conceive of their life, of their endeavors, of their future, of their success as being in their hands and not in God's hands. That notion is evil. We are dependent upon God for everything. And, and part of the beauty of this is, is on this side, you look forward and say, I will never go and do business and profit if the Lord does not direct our way. But on the other side, we don't get puffed up and say, I went, I did business, I profited. I did it. No, even on this side, we end up saying what? The plan was successful because God directed the way. And so as we stand there in the success, do we see the success as the fruit of our hands? Or do we look to him and say, God, thank you for granting success in this endeavor. You see the difference? Oh, the, 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 that we are dependent on God's leading. So we're diligent to make plans, to try to do what is right, to try to provide for our family, to try to figure out where we're going and what's pleasing to God. But in the end, it's not, it's not that we think it's all on me. And more than that, we should realize we are all on him. We need him every moment, every step of the way. And every seeming success is by his hand and design. Every hurdle that we must overcome is by his hand and design. Every opposition that we face is by his hand and design. Every setback that we experience is by his hand and his design. In everything, we as his people can look back and say, God, I know that you are directed way to you I look with this hope and desire oh God direct my path some of the again Paul also says when he's over in first Corinthians chapter 4 verse 19 he tells to the church at Corinth I will come to you soon if the Lord wills here's my plan if the Lord wills and I wish to a certain extent in my own life and in the life of my brothers and sisters in Christ, that that would be just way more prevalent in the way that we speak. But even as I urge it to be more common in our language, there's a danger when something becomes more common in our language, isn't there? If it becomes too common, then we say it without thought. You know. So may God help us to reality and dependence on him and his daily guidance and, and a trust in his direction into our language but in a way that stays fresh and stays deliberate maybe say it very slow maybe say it very staccato you know where it, 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 it where it just is is less than the god willing if god is willing then we will go and do this and that you know yeah people may look at you strange but that's okay 
it's going to happen anyway at some point. All right. Some of the richness of this, remember, God's leading sometimes leads them into affliction. Remember in chapter 3, we saw no one should be moved, verse 3 and 4, by these afflictions for you yourselves know we were destined for this. We were destined for this. We told you beforehand that we were to suffer your affliction, and it has come place. So God directs us sometimes into affliction by design, and it's good. Sometimes he directs us not only into affliction, affliction, but we're, we're so dependent on him that when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, as well as when he instructs them into the, in, in the Garden of, e, of Gethsemane, he says this in Matthew 16, verse 13, it says this, and lead us not into temptation. Pray that you will not come in, says in, in Gethsemane, pray that you will not come into a time of temptation. So who's leading in everything? Yeah, God. And so we're confident in his purposes. And so if, if he's brought us into temptation, I always love and urge the memorization of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If we do find ourselves in a time of trial and affliction, find ourselves in a moment of tremendous temptation, what does that verse say? Whatever trials and affliction you're going through, they are common among your brothers. It's not as much as you may feel like it is. It's not entirely unique to you. Others have gone through these same things. And more than that, God is faithful. Who will provide for you a way of escape or the strength to endure. So here you are in the midst of a trial, in the, in the mix, midst of temptation. You can't say, I fell into sin because God led me into temptation. No, you cannot do that. Why did you fall into sin? Because there's sin in your heart. Out of the heart of man does sin come. And actually, no one can say when he's tempted. James also says that he's tempted by God. The, God himself tempts no man. And so, all, and, and, and the way all of this unfolds, you recognize this. Whatever he has led me into... And this is, this is always a help. Someone, they're facing a trial and affliction. They say, I can't do it. I just can't make it through. I just, I just don't have the strength any longer. Well, in yourself alone, yeah. But that's not you anymore. Because the spirit of Christ dwells in you. You are by faith united to Christ. That's why we can say we are more than conquerors. I love that phrase in 1 John because if it had said this, we are conquerors, that's kind of enough, right? Because conqueror means what? We won. What's more than conquerors? See, it's so good we don't even have a word for it. All you got to say is more than conquerors. So the, the, the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So that confidence is ours so that whenever we face it, I can't make it through. All we can say is I can't make it through on my own and praise God I am never alone. He will never leave me or forsake me. Amen? And... So he will grant me the strength to resist the temptation, to press through the trial, or he will provide a way of escape, which is fine too. I know, generally speaking, if you're given the option, or if I'm given the option, I'm saying I would rather escape than go through the fire. <laughs> but he will direct our paths. And sometimes it's through the fire Indeed, the scriptures will often say, it's through the fire. See, the fire is what? You put the silver in the fire, and what does it do? It refines it. It burns away the dross. It purifies it. And so we don't necessarily want to go through the fire, but is there not a part of us that say, you know what? If, if going through this fire is going to deepen my faith, strengthen my character, is going to, to humble me and mold me and shape me in a good and godly way... And through the fire, 
by grace, I will go. Right? Amen. So such wonderful, encouraging things um, that we see. Uh, even in this, it's important to, uh, in Pro uh, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, says this, the heart of a man plans his way. And so we make plans, and it's good to make plans. But what actually ends up happening? But the Lord directs his steps. So it's good for a man to make plans, and a man will make plans. That's kind of how we're wired. But our plans are not what ultimately happens. Our designs don't determine reality. Man plans his ways, but God directs his steps. Now, sometimes that's confusing. It, oftentimes that's confusing. Because, listen, if our plan has also been what God's purpose was for us, here's the path that we lay out for us, and we walk down that path, what do we start to say ourselves? I did what I set out to do. I planned, I directed my path. Be careful, brother and sister, <laughs> because yes, you planned, and yes, you walked, and you endeavored, but who directs the path? Could God not have blocked it, altered it, changed it? So if you went there, yes, you wanted to. It was your desire. It was your design. It was your determination, but you only got there because he directed your steps. Wow, that is such a mystery. I don't understand it. Good. Because you're, if you understood it, then I'm not saying it clearly. Because this is what it says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24. All right? So get ready for another delicious dose of confusion. It says this. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? I thought I did it. I thought it was all me. Well, uh, yeah, you thought that. But a man's steps are from the Lord. But, but a man's steps are from the Lord. What are you saying? Proverbs 20, 24. God is absolutely in supreme control of all things, and his power is so potent, and his ways are so powerful, our mind cannot fully ponder it, and it leaves us saying, huh, so was it me, or was it him? Mm-hmm, it was you because of him. What? Yeah, it begins to get a little mysterious, but here's part of the problem. We struggle to understand it. Here's the biggest deficiency we have. We're human, and he's God, and his mind and ways and thoughts are just so big and so glorious. So many, uh, I want to move on to our, to our next thought. Not only are we to have a, a, a deep, a dependent diligence in terms of a desired leading, that he would lead me, and more than just a desired leading, but also a recognition that wherever we find ourselves, it's because he led us there. Um, one, one of the Psalms says, if I was to take flight by the wings of the morning and go to the farthest ends of the sea, which seems like a spontaneous, unplanned, random journey, it says, you have led me there. Like, what? How does this happen? But more than that, now let's start to get even, even more specific. We are also called not only to a desired leading, and I would say a, a, a delight in his leading, but secondly, a deepened loving. Look at this deepened loving. I'm, I'm now in verse 12 of chapter 3, before we move on to chapter 4. It says this, and may the Lord. So, so you're seeing a theme in verse 11 and verse 12. And verse 13, may our God, may the Lord, so that he may establish. So the, the prayer, the call is for God to do these things. 
God to direct our hearts. May God what? May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So how is that love going to abound? No, let's go on a little further. Go down with me into chapter 4. Look at verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. And I always love this about Paul because he often says, you have no need for anyone to write to you about it. And that's while he's writing to them about it, you know. Like he writes to uh, Philemon, you know, not to mention... And then he goes on to mention the exact thing he just said he was not going to mention. You have no need to write. So the need may not be there, and it's important for us to know this. Even though there may not be a need to write, because there is a grace of God and a powerful way that he works in us, even if there's not a need, there's still a value. There's still a benefit. That's why he still says it anyways. (laughs) And You have no need for anyone to write to you. Uh, about brotherly love, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. There is a sense in which when the Spirit of God comes and saves us, we know it is right to love Him and to love one another. I mean, that, he's saying there's a certain sense in which that's a given. Now, as much as it would seem a given, many of us have read First John. And he's had to remind some who were being unloving. Look, if you say you love God, who you don't see, and you don't love your brother, whom you do see, you're lying. You're confused. You don't understand it. We even see in the book of James, there was partiality being shown. They were showing favoritism to those who would come into the congregation, who brought hefty wallets with them. But then they were just kind of... uh, not so attentive to those who were coming from humble earthly circumstances. No. You just, you just know that's wrong to show partiality for uh, a person's earthly status and position. You just know that it's right to love. And, so, and this is one of the beautiful things about the grace of God that saves us. There, there is a, a, a reality where the Spirit of God who dwells in us quickens, enlivens, invigorates our consciences. And there are just certain things that we know are pleasing to God and are right and to an extent are natural to us because that's who we are now. I am now united to Christ. And I might ask this, does Christ love all of his sheep? He loved his sheep so much, he laid down his life for them. So, if he loved all of his sheep to the point of death, generally speaking, which sheep can I ignore? You know, which sheep can I say, yeah, but he, she kind of rubs me the wrong way. Um, spoil my sanctification. Right, So you make it a spiritual reason to not love them. No, no, no. We do that. And it's just such an unhealthy thing where somehow for godly reasons we can do godless things. No! That that doesn't exist. In, in, In a sense, you need... I'm shocked even when I see when did Jesus know... I mean, we look at the patience, even the loving kindness to one who ultimately would not be one of his sheep. When did Jesus know that Judas was going to betray him? From the beginning, he knew who was the one who was going to betray him, didn't he? And yet he called him. He said, follow me. He received all of the teaching. He received all of Jesus' compassion. Even shockingly, he knew the corrupt heart that was his. And who put him in charge of the money purse? Jesus. When you see, that's why it says, a love for one another and a love for all. I want you to not miss that. A love for one another and a love for all. Maybe some of us are ready for the excuse, okay, 
I'm going to be loving among my brothers and sisters in Christ. But outside of that, forget it. You know? We're not supposed to love the world or the things in the world. Yeah, with an inordinate attraction and affection, but you are to love or be loving to the people in the world. Yes, you are. And you're to be merciful and you're to be patient. And, and, and we see these tremendous examples. And it says, so the first one says, in verse 12 says of chapter 3 says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love. And then down in verse 10 of chapter 4, it says this, God had taught you these things, for indeed you're doing it. That's what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers and brothers, I didn't say that right, we urge you, brothers, to what? Do this more and more. And so here it comes as an urging on them. I'm urging you. I'm trying to compel you do this more and more love one another more and more wait a second you're confusing me because now you're telling me to do it whereas in chapter 3 you were saying may God do it in me so which is it is God gonna just do it in me or am I supposed to commit myself to do it that's the blessed mystery both are true I mean, this is the challenge that we run into all the time. Uh, sometimes when you get into the, the, the doctrinal details of the scripture, people wrestle with uh, how can God be sovereign and man be responsible? And, and, and wrestling with ideas that in, in people's minds don't seem to go together when the Bible teaches both very clearly. Man is absolutely responsible for all that he does. But apart from the sovereign grace of God taking one who is dead in their trespasses and sin, there is no hope for them. God is absolutely sovereign. Man is absolutely responsible. And Bible sets both of them up there so that we would call men to come to Christ while pleading with God to bring them to him. And the world says, what? So do we commit ourselves to, the, to love more and more? Do we, do we deliberately contemplate ways to do that? Or do we just ask God to do it? Both are there. Asking God to do it and then time goes by. Yeah, he hadn't done it yet. And not my fault. He hadn't done it yet. I'm, when, when he does it, you're going to see some love, okay, when he does it. No, no. But, or the other side, uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. The overconfidence that somehow I am going to live it out by my own strength, by my own energy. No, by the grace of God, I'm going to endeavor to do this. God help me. God work within me. God strengthen me. There's a sense in which I would say, uh, you, you both commit yourself to it as well as you cry out to God for it. Not one or the other. That's a part of a challenge because we live in a world where sometimes in the, in the forms and orders of logic and in the claims of certain ways of paradox, we build things as either or. The scriptures sometimes put things as both and. Sometimes, it, more important, not only both and, but both and are always not necessarily simultaneous. The both and is oftentimes one precedes the other. One produces the other. We are to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we're told in Philippians. Why? For it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, both are at work, but whose work initiates and instigates it all? God's. And produces it, and indeed I would say produces within us a desire, and it produces within us a diligent devotion to it. 
but it's the grace of God at work. And so that's why so, so many groups seem to teeter on legalism on the one side. Do, do, do. You must do. And antinomianism on the other side. Don't do nothing. Don't do, he's done it all. You just chill. No, there's more than that. The, the beauty of it is, is, is grace is powerful. Christ in us, the Spirit of God dwelling in us. The way that it's, the idea of the Spirit of God dwelling in us, when you're reading through uh, the writings of Peter, it says we have become partakers of the divine nature. I mean, that's a powerful statement, isn't it? That's not a small thing. We're not just that human nature. We're not captivated by carnal nature. When by grace we're delivered and set free, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Christ in us and us in him. His spirit alive in us. Indeed, the scripture will often say the very power that raised him from the dead is the power that is at work within us. It's pretty good power. Because the, remember, the scripture says regarding Satan, he was the one who had the power over death. That was his strongest position. And who defeated him? Christ. And so that gives us that, that wonderful covenant. So we, want, so we love and we love more and more. In Philippians chapter 1, just drawing our attention back to that, it says this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So in one passage, he's telling them, your love must abound more and more. In another passage, it's my prayer that your love abound more and more. So when our love abounds more and more, what do we say? Was it our effort or was it God's work? Which one was it? And the answer is bad question. <laughs> the question is, is, is leading because it is both. It's not which one. It's this is the wonderful, powerful work of God. If necessary, take pains to make progress. But pains, in a sense, are not ultimately severely painful when we consider the blessing and power of God, uh, I mean, I remember, and I tried this when I was young. Uh, at times, there was something that was being televised on Saturdays called Kung Fu Theater. Don't know if any of you ever saw that. You'd recognize it if you did, because the lips are going one thing and the words are going another, and it's very entertaining. But sometimes you see these guys, and I remember. Uh, one particular episode where there was this guy who was trying to develop an amazing skill where, I mean, you've seen those kinds of things where the guy jumps, and when he jumps, he's up in the trees. And then he's jumping between the trees. It's like, wow, how did they get to do that? Well, this guy was trying to develop the skill, and so the way that they, they were doing it is they were tying him to a rock, and he would jump jump, jump, and until finally that rock is beginning to lift. And then finally, he's, he, every time he jumps, that rock's pretty elevated from the ground. Then they tie the fellow onto a bigger rock. And he jumps, and it doesn't go anywhere, and it keeps going. You know, and, and you're watching this guy, and, and at the end, end of the days, as the sun's getting dark, he's laying, laying on the ground next to the rock, and then the next day, he's jumping again. And you're thinking, what is this guy? And then finally, huge rocks, and then when they untie that fella, I mean, he's jumping trees. I mean, boo! And it, it just, but all of that happened uh, because he put himself through pains. He trained himself. He, we have those same kind of things. Nobody gets out and runs a marathon who doesn't run at all. You know, if it happens, that's pretty impressive. But generally speaking, you build up to it. You run a certain amount and you increase a certain amount and you increase. And, and it, it's a process. And so that's what, it, what the scriptures are saying more and more. And we've considered this in the past. Okay. I'm doing more now than I did last year. I did it. 
I'm done. Well, no, no, no. More and more means at which point do we say, I'm done. And we don't get to say, I'm done. You know, the, the, the time that we untie from the rock and jump to the trees is when we did. That's it. And that's why it's it, it, still in Philippians, Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already become perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I'm not perfect. And I think all of us can agree with that. He's not perfect. And the person sitting next to you isn't perfect. And you and I are not perfect. But, so what does he do? I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider myself to have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on. There's a straining forward and there's a pressing on. And that is important. And we must do that. But I must give you pause for a moment. Our confidence in progress. Is, it, is our confidence rooted in our straining? Is our confidence grounded in our pressing on? Or is our confidence and motivation to strain and to press on is because we know that God is at work within us. See? Don't miss that. I, 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 some, would, some would say, so which one should we emphasize more? Uh, please don't emphasize one more. Know that, know that where God is at work, his people are hard at work. What? Yeah. That's it. I've got to move on to the last point because uh, the clock keeps moving on. And that is uh, verse 13. So we've seen looking for God's leading, uh, a deepening loving, and lastly, I see a devoted living. You see it in verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before God the Father at his coming. So who's going to establish your hearts blameless and holiness? He is. But then look what it says down below. Verse, uh, well, one, first of all, chapter four. Finally, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord... That as you receive from us how you ought to walk. Yeah, I mean the scriptures, this is what you ought to do. Well, how, it, how ought you to walk? To, pl to please God. Just as you are doing. Oh good, I'm doing it. Do so what? More and more. Aye, aye, aye. So you're saying, whatever my current state of how, how loving I am towards my brothers and sisters in Christ in the world, I need to do so more and more. And however much progress I've made in living in a life that's pleasing to God, it's not enough. It's never enough. Well, and there is a sense in which ask yourself that question. Is it ever enough? I mean, could you ever do enough to make yourself worthy of the kingdom of God? No. And so, so here's, here's the reality. I'm going to give all I have because I know it's never enough while looking to Christ because he has done all that I could not do. What he has done is enough. It is absolutely sufficient. And so I will be accepted by God in that day. My heart will be in perfect holiness because of Christ who is my who has gone before me. But right now, I gotta live it out more and more. And it goes on just a little few verses later. Um, still in First Thessalonians there. Um, verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, or your holiness. Now, 
How is this holiness, how is this sanctification expressed here? There is a form of holiness and sanctification that we have just by union with Christ, positionally and accepted. But this sanctification, this holiness, is, re is referring to how we live because it explains what this holiness looks like. That each of you abstain from, and then it lists immoral, sinful activities. And that each of you know how to control your body. So it is talking about a practical personal, lived out holiness. And I love this verse because it says this, and I'm going to have to close on this. It says this, this is the will of God, your holiness. You're going to meet a lot of people in your life, brothers and sisters in Christ, younger or older than you. You're going to meet people who feel like they're standing at the crossroads of life. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what's going to happen. And they maybe will say this, I don't know what God's will is for me. And you can look them in the eye and say, you know what? I don't know what God's will is for your job. I don't know what God's will is for your marriage. I don't know what God's will is for your city. I, uh, I, I don't have any idea about those practical outworkings of God's will in your life. God's hand of providence will take care of those things. But I can tell you this, this is the will of God, your holiness. And the beauty of it is, he who's called you and showed you that's your will, he has given you by his divine power the ability to make progress in it. It is fantastic. And so, so, so here, is the, here is the challenge. And this is something you want to tell yourself and something you want to tell others as they're struggling. I don't know what God's will is for me. I don't know what God's will is for me. Yeah, you do. His will is for you to be holy. But what does that mean about where I should go? You stop worrying about where you should go. <laughs> you be faithful to what you know. Because and God will direct your steps. Because you know what happens? You plan your way, but God directs your steps. Trust Him while trusting in His Word. And, and too many times I know people who are searching for the will of God practically in the different decisions they make seem to care less about the will of God as to how they ought to be living. Well, if first of all He tells me where to go, and that works out in a way that makes me happy and wealthy. Then I'm on board with the holiness. But until then, we'll see. No, 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 no. Those things don't matter. Whether you prosper or not doesn't matter. Because you don't even know if you need that money that you're going to make. These people who think, we're going to make all this money and bring it back in a year. Uh, you don't even know if you're going to be alive next year. You can make all that money, and maybe you will make all that money, and when you're bringing it back for the big enjoyment, you don't make it back. I mean, those of us who have been on the McShane reading and been reading through Ecclesiastes recently have seen that kind of thing. There is a vanity in this world. A man labors, and he works, and he stores up all this money, and he dies, and he does not know who it'll go to. Hmm. So much of the things that we allow to stress us out and cause us strain, they're vanity. They're not the important. They're not the abiding. They're not the significant things. God is in control. Those things will work out. We need to focus on the things that he has called us to strain in, and we need to strain and strive with the strength that he provides. Amen? So the simple thought today is the word of God calls us to be a people who live in a diligent dependence and we look to him with a desired leading. We trust in him as we strive for a deepened loving. We continue to have our eyes fixed upon him for a devoted living. May God grant us the passion, the love, the grace. May he do these things in us by his power as we do our best to do them for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, as we, um, oftentimes when we come to the end of, of uh, a session, always feel that your word and your truth and your desires are so important, so significant, so valuable that 
there's no way I can do them justice. There's no way I can express them adequately. There's no way I can implore sufficiently. But thank you, God, that uh, the, the response of God's people to God's word is not dependent on me. But it is your spirit taking the truth of your word, applying it to the hearts of your people, giving them grace upon grace, strength upon strength, hope upon hope, transforming their desires, deepening their devotions. Lord, we just pray that you would do this in each of our lives. Lord, that as time goes by, we would not lose sight of these things, but you would stir us up to love and good works for our glorious God, because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.